Well, good evening. Well, hold on now. Good evening. Good evening. There we go. I knew you guys were there. Um, holy smokes, what a weird night. Uh, if you didn't see when you arrived that the power went out, I think, what, five times in eight minutes? Uh, the fourth time is when the Lord kind of gave me the peace. Just give up. Stop trying to make the camera and live stream work. Just, just go ahead and go preach. So I was grateful for that grace. And now I'm sure that we've canceled all of that. Uh, the power will stay on for the rest of the entire service. But, hey, we're here. We're gathered. We don't need lights uh, to worship Jesus. We don't need a uh, live stream for God to be glorified. Um, now, if you did see me on my phone up here, I was not bored from the singing. I was texting the, our church membership that is still um, staying at home due to COVID and watching on the live stream, or they're out of town working. It's kind of just letting them know what's going on. Am I miserably echoey to anyone besides myself? Really? This is going to be fun. Um, so let me, have, let me just take a moment of prayer with you for composure, and then we'll recalibrate. And we will continue, we, we, we worship the Lord throughout our day, now we, we worship the Lord through song, now let's prepare to worship the Lord through the preaching of His Word, okay? Pray with me. Father, I love you so much, and I really was encouraged, and part of me actually wants the power to go back off, Lord, just so you can get more glory tonight. But God, as the power was going off, it really dawned on me, we don't need any of that. We didn't come here tonight for comfortable chairs because there aren't any. We didn't come here for a warm building because it's completely cement. We didn't come here for the comfort and the luxury um, that what we can get, God. We came here tonight so that we can lift you up, that we can exalt you through the, through the coming together as a church for encouragement between brothers and sisters for the singing of praise that you're worthy to have sung about you, and for the preaching of your perfect word. <clears throat> now, God, if, if a couple power outages and bad weather can throw me off my focus, I can't imagine what the cooks and the hangar staff are thinking right now. And so, God, I ask that you would give them peace and give them comfort in this time. God, that their equipment would keep working so they could keep cooking food. God, give them peace. Help them, Lord, to know everything's okay. And if the night of work is weird, we will persevere. I pray for all the people that are eating in there, Lord, that you would help them to be patient, knowing that it's not the hanger's fault if something goes wrong. So God, we just pray for them, for our friends and our neighbors in this, in this evening with this event going on. Father, we love you. Keep people safe on the roads and help us to have a great time worshiping you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I see lots of, of boys and girls in the audience today, and so uh, we, we keep our kids in here with us on purpose. Uh, one of the things that we've tried to do to engage their um, wandering minds and their curious minds is we have cool coloring uh, sermon sheets. And so if you are a great school boy or girl, feel free and come on up to the front, grab one of these sheets, and grab some or some crowns. You hear my southern coming out crayons. Um, grab some map pencils and stay up here. And we're going to do our memory verse coming under the table to you. 
we go. Here, my neighbor. Okay, stay up here. We're going to do our memory verse. <clears throat> and uh, church, if I need to put it on the screens. I'm sorry, but it, we don't have that slide tonight. Um, so, all right, boys and girls, as loud as you can. I know you don't like this verse because it means you've got to listen to your parents. But as loud as we can, we're going to say Ephesians 6.1. We'll say the verse, and then we say Ephesians 6.1 again. Ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what is right. Ephesians 6, 1. All right, boys and girls, you can be seated. Um, adults, it's not just children who need, who need this. Okay, here you go. It's not just uh, children that need the word of the Lord. We all need it. Uh, scripture says that God's word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so we need that. The Psalm 119 also says that how can someone keep their way pure by keeping it according to your word? And so, uh, church, I encourage you to incorporate that memory verse into your daily life. Uh, in our home, of course, we have young kids, and so you have to apply it into your own family life. But um, in our home, we are doing trying to do this at bedtime. We memorize the scripture. And what's funny is I was doing it for my children. And then I realized that we're about five months into this now. I've memorized almost all five of those verses. One of them I can't get. But I've memorized scripture myself. I'm trying to teach it to my children, but I need it. And so church, I, this isn't just for the boys and girls up here. This is for all of our hearts. We're memorizing the scripture because we want our church to be memorizing the word of God. So that's my encouragement to you. Um, before we jump into the sermon, look, <clears throat> the lights might go out again. If they do... I'm just simply going to use the loud voice God gave me and the incredible echoing of the concrete and brick walls, and we're just going to keep preaching, okay? We're going to keep rolling right on through and keep worshiping the Lord together, okay, church? Um, we do have, I never thought I'd preach under a spotlight, but I do, a Ryobi LED spotlight, so I'm feeling pretty, I'm feeling pretty proud right now. Um, so we do have those lights here for if the power goes out, it won't be pitch black, um, so, anyways, there's, there's just a couple little damage control items there. <clears throat> this is week two of the Gospel of Mark. We just began uh, the Gospel of Mark last week. And, and so I want to recap that and then give us a preface for what we're fixing to do tonight. So last week, we looked at the divine call, the divine commission, and the divine consequence. And so we looked at how John the Baptist... There was a prophecy that someone would come and pave the way of the Lord. John the Baptist had a divine call, and he did that. He did. He, he paved the way of the Messiah coming. So he had a divine call, a divine commission, and then we see that he was arrested and subsequently uh, beheaded because of his righteousness, because of his uh, faith, effectively. Some other details in there. But anyways, there was a divine call, a commission, and a consequence for John the Baptist. And then we see Jesus had a divine call. That God prophesied that Jesus the Messiah would come. And so Jesus had a divine call. Jesus has a divine commission. He was baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and empowers his ministry. And God the Father, we talked about the Trinity, spoke affirmingly over him at that baptism. So he had a divine commission. And then immediately he went into temptation. We also know that he was also arrested and subsequently uh, crucified, which, praise God, he rose from the dead. Then 
Jesus calls to the disciples and says, come, follow me. A divine call, but now it's divine because God is in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. So the disciples had a divine call. The disciples left their nets and followed him. They had a divine commission. The only thing, we, we left off the sermon ending that there is no divine consequence for the disciples in that passage. And, and, and Mark, the author, is saying to them, John had a consequence, Jesus had a consequence. Are you willing to follow Jesus regardless of the consequences and suffering you have to go through? And the disciples' answer was yes. And so church, we, last week when we looked at that passage, we answered yes to that passage, to that question. Yes, no matter what it costs us, no matter how hard we will follow Jesus. And so Mark uh, chapter 1 verses 21 through 45 kind of give an insight, a foretaste, a precursor, if you will, of what the life of following Jesus looks like. So we're in for a ride tonight. Um, now, if any of you have ever done one of those murder mysteries, okay, like we did it one time for one of my uncle's birthday parties. Everyone was part of a murder mystery. Everyone got a character. There was a plot. There was a twist. There was all these pieces of the story that only once the game was over and all the pieces came together did everything make sense, okay? I'm gonna be honest with you. This passage was hard for me to preach or for me to prepare because he tells like four or five stories to tell one story that's never explicitly told. Does that make sense? I hope it will at the end of the sermon. But, but he tells a few different stories of what's going on. And then in, the, in the middle of their hidden is the point of the whole story. And so it usually we've been preaching through 1 Timothy, through 1 Peter, and it's like I spend way too long in four verses because there's 17 things that we need to learn from those four verses, but we're not preaching in a, in a small epistle, a letter anymore. We're preaching through a narrative, a story, a historical account of Jesus' life. And so he's telling one big story with a lot of words. And so I, I just wanted to kind of prepare you that I'm going to preach much differently tonight than I usually do, and that usually we go, okay, verse 22, this is what it says, this is what it means. Verse 24, you know, we move down and on and on. We're going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to take chunks of it and bring it all together like a murder mystery game, okay? All right, so join me in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 21 through 45, and... Lord willing that the power doesn't go off, the scriptures will be on the screens behind me. Uh, we also have uh, some Bibles that uh, should be on the inside of the rows. I don't see them. We might actually be out. Let me order some of those. It's on my to-do list. Uh, we've had a lot of people taking Bibles. But um, if you need a Bible, let us know. Write that on your connect card. That is our gift to you. We, we believe the Bible and we want you to have a copy of God's Word so that you can base your life off of it as well. Okay, join me in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 45. Here we go. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And, and the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. Verse 27, they were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean, the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's, with James and John, Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand and raised her up. The fever left her and she began to serve them. When the evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the de demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Verse 36, Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Jesus speaking, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Last section, verse 39, he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him on his knees, begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in the deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. So we have a lot of things going on, okay? There's, there's a lot of people being healed from physical illnesses. There's multiple people being uh, healed from demon possession. Um, a quick word on demon possession. Oftentimes people are like, I've never seen this type of thing. Um, never seen this type of thing in my life. Are you sure that it was real in the Bible? If you go to other countries, you will see demon possession a lot more often because they don't have so many other distractions. The whole purpose of demon possession is to distract and to discourage and to destroy someone from loving or following God. And so in America, Satan doesn't need any more help with that. We have money and we have all sorts of perversions in our technology and distractions that keep us completely sidelined from following Jesus faithfully, okay? So... Literally, I think Satan looks at America and is like, yeah, 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 I don't even need to do overtime on you guys. Let me go over. So if you go to these much more um, poverty-stricken 
um, or third world countries, you will see a lot more demon possession than what you would see in Barna and Wyoming in 2021, okay? Uh, so this is just a quick word on, not to say that it isn't happening here. It is. It's just not as widespread and prevalent as, as, as like times when you go to different countries. Um, just a quick word on that spiritual warfare. So there's a lot of things taking place here. Uh, he heals demon-possessed, physically ill, physically ill mother-in-laws. Um, he, he does. Uh, there's some of you in here that wish you could have the power to heal your mother-in-law, but um, that's not what Jesus was doing. But um, so all these things are taking place, and that's what we talked about. How the Book of Mark is written. Mark is an action-packed man that's telling all the action of Jesus because what Jesus is doing, he's actually saying something by what he's doing. And so what is Jesus saying in all of these actions? Well, I want to really look at four things tonight. And like I said, we're going to take chunks of scripture and then put it all together. Um, and I think that we're being faithful to the text in that way. So the first thing that, we, that I want to address is that following Jesus comes with spiritual and physical opposition. Jesus ends, or, or Mark ends the last passage we preached through with, are you willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost? And we said, yes. And so he said, okay, welcome to the cost. And so they go, they start following, and now they're in discipleship training 101, following Jesus to his first sermon. And what happens? A demon interrupts the sermon. Could you imagine that? Imagine that I'd ask one of you to come. Hey, hey guys, I want you to come and watch everything that I do as your pastor because I'm training you to be a future pastor. And the first time you show up to the hangar for me to preach a sermon, a demon, possessed man, stands up and interrupts the middle of my sermon. That would be some crazy stuff. That's what's happening. The disciples are probably like, holy smokes, what did we get ourselves into? They said, yes, we're going to leave behind our, our financial career. We're going to follow Jesus in faith, no matter what it costs us. All right, Jesus, first sermon. Boom. Demon-possessed man interrupts the middle of his sermon. That's crazy. And the disciples are recognizing. That, <laughs> I love how Mark does this. Will you follow me no matter the cost? Yes. And then immediately, demon possessions and interruptions in sermons. Welcome to what it means to follow Christ. There will be spiritual opposition. I'm looking at some of our, our new believers and some of our uh, folks in our church that are growing. And I remember having conversations with each of you. And all differently, and I know none of you know you've had the same conversation with me. But it's like, man, as soon as I try to do something good, Satan kick, tries to kick my butt. I'm like, yeah, welcome to the fight. <laughs> it's a grind. I'm 12 years in. And every time I try and do something for the Lord, Satan is close by to distract. And so... Uh, disciples, we must know that following Jesus comes with spiritual and physical opposition. So right off the bat, a demon is now interrupting his sermon, and he has to literally call out the demon and kick him, exercise the demon, right? Kick him out of the church gathering so that he can continue on ministry. Okay, so the demons oppose him. Interestingly enough, this is kind of a a more of a distant point that will come later, the religious leaders are opposing him. Or the religious mm, culture, could you say? The religious leaders and the religious culture. Again, this becomes painfully clear later, but he's, he's foreshadowing it now because there's a demon-possessed man at the church gathering. 
Clearly, he felt comfortable there the other days until God came to preach a sermon. Now he's no longer happy to be in that synagogue. Interesting that a demon could entertain himself at a church service. Okay, so the demon-possessed man is immediately opposing him. So the religious, uh, the religious culture, the religious leaders in that time having an unhealthy synagogue, most likely. Um, and then at the end, when Jesus heals this leprous man, and he says, don't tell anyone. And he goes and tells everyone. He says, go and show the priests, the priests who most certainly had already seen this man's leprosy and had to exile him from the community. That's what the Jewish law would have done. As you look at the Old Testament, Leviticus, if someone had leprosy, they would do all these little tests to try and make sure that it wasn't going to be contagious. But if he fails these tests, then he has to go live in an outcast village outside of the community and never able to be with his family again unless his leprosy is healed. And so the priests were hopeless to heal this man. And yet Jesus says, hey, just go ahead and go over to the priest's house real quick and let him know you're good. Just don't tell him it was me. <laughs> so, uh, so anyways, we see that a foreshadowing of that, that Jesus trumps the religious culture and the religious leaders of the day. The demons chilling in the synagogue service and the priests couldn't heal someone. But when God comes to earth, things change. But there's going to be opposition. And then lastly, we see that, that uh, the, the third way that we see opposition when it comes to following Christ is the crowds didn't get it. Now, I have, this took me a long time to learn this as I prepared this prepared to preach tonight. But as I, if you pay attention to how this text is worded, Jesus never once applauds the crowds for coming to him. He heals somebody, and immediately everyone hears that he can heal. They don't come to him and begin following him. In all of these people that heal, there's only one person that turns and follows him. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But in all this, Jesus is healing people, but he didn't come to do that. He came to proclaim the good news and to demonstrate in power, that's why he was healing, demonstrate the power that the new kingdom has come. But all these crowds didn't get that. Even his disciples missed the mark. We'll talk about that later. And so to follow Jesus, you have to understand that there's going to be spiritual opposition to you. To follow Jesus, there's going to be church culture and church leaders that will give you opposition when you really get on fire for Jesus. There's going to be some old fogies, not age, but old-hearted people that are bored in their faith and they're going to be against you growing and against the move of God. And then lastly to say... When it comes to following Jesus, you're going to have to constantly deal with people not getting it. People missing the real purpose of the gospel. And wanting what they can get rather than what the gospel is really about. And so if we're going to be following Jesus, following Jesus comes with spiritual and physical opposition. The second thing, again, taking the next piece in this puzzle that I want to talk about is that following Jesus requires proclaiming the good news with compassion, not just compassion. Okay? I, I want you to look at verse 35, verse 35 through 38. And we'll have that on the screen. So, verse 35 to 38. Following Jesus requires proclaiming the good news with compassion. 
not just compassion. Now, what am I getting at? Getting at that in verse 35, Jesus is, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages, so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Church, there's something going on. It, it really hasn't hit Wyoming near as much. Wyoming is a hardworking state. I've made the joke in my sermon before that if any state could, or if any group of people could earn their way to salvation, it would be a Wyoming worker. Because uh, we work hard. But we can't earn our way to salvation. We know that, right? But it, it hasn't come through Wyoming yet. Oh, but sadly, it is coming. There is a belief now, it was in, in, a long time ago, I say a few decades back, several decades ago, there was this thing called the social gospel, where people would, I'm seeing some other brothers in ministry and sisters in ministry shaking their heads, yes, a social gospel. They quit telling people that Jesus died for their sins and that they could be saved only if they repent and turn from those sins and follow Jesus obediently according to his word. They quit sharing that message because that wasn't helping anybody. And they began doing feeding centers and, and orphanages and, and all these homeless ministries and the social gospel. Other than it was just social work. It wasn't the social gospel because the gospel is the good news of Jesus. And so this, this had this really um, rampant run through the church for a while and it distorted the gospel. What it meant was if, if we can just get a bowl of hot soup to someone who's hungry, then, then we've glorified God and we've solved a huge problem. The only problem was that that well-fed baby ended up dying and going to hell because they never knew that there was someone who came from heaven to earth, died on the cross so that they could be made right with the father that created them. So the social gospel is really just a false gospel. And now it's coming back in the form of a term called the woke church. That term is not in and of itself bad, okay? It, it, I've seen it used in some Christian articles or books in a positive way. Have you, have you heard the term woke? I think some of our, no, yeah, okay, so I was gonna say, I know that some of our younger people have heard that they're woke or it's in the negative term, it's like, hey, wake up, America. And they're wanting you to agree that the biggest issues in the world have to do with racism, with gender equality, with LGBTQ lifestyles, that if we can just make all those people loved, cared for, and, and, and um, accommodated, then we've solved the world's problems and everyone will live in peace. It goes back, if you can end bullying for someone, which we should end bullying for people. Ultimately, the, the agenda is not wrong. It, it's just that it's, it's the means, not the end. Do we want to feed every single home, or hungry child in the world? Yes. Do we want to get a home for every homeless person in the world? Yes. Do we want to set free all those who are caught in human trafficking? Yes. Do we want to help those who are mentally ill? Yes. 
It's yes and amen through the power of Christ to all of these things. But we start with proclaiming the good news first. Because if, if we get a house for someone, if we get a job for someone, if we do a food pantry for someone, if we, if we stop bullying for someone, and then they die without ever knowing Jesus, it was worth nothing. I'm still saying it's a noble cause, okay? Donald wants everyone to get bullied and be hungry. No, not at all. Are there racial issues? Yes, 100%. We've got to work on a better future. But we've got to start with Jesus. Does the LGBT community need to know that Christians still love them? Yes. I'm not approving of, of an LGBTQ lifestyle, okay? Uh, God, I think God's design would contradict that and have something so much greater for them. Um, we're, we're not affirming that, but, but, but we as the church, yes, we do need to have some greater relationships as I've talked to some of my friends that are either uh, advocates or are homosexual or same-sex attraction, whatever. Uh, you just explain to them the true gospel and, and explain to them, like, I don't hate you. I can't approve of your lifestyle because God says that it's not right and he has something far greater for you. I don't, I don't hate you, though. I would never discriminate you, be rude to you or anything. And so I think the church has to do a little bit better job of working on that reputation Again, not accommodating, not affirming it, but are there issues? Yes. But we don't start with seminars and with food pantries only. We start with the gospel. We start with explaining to them, hey, look, let me explain to you. I know that you're hungry and we've got some food coming. But let me explain to you that Jesus says he is the bread of life. Everyone who eats of him will never hunger again. Hey, I know that you're thirsty. Jesus says, I am the, the water of life. Anyone who drinks of me will never thirst again. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is. And so we take the world's problems and we introduce them to how the King, Jesus, solves that problem. And then we help them in the physical side as well. But here's the deal. If Jesus' purpose on the earth was physical healing and the social gospel, he would have went back to that house and would have healed everyone until the world had no more things to heal. But he didn't. He went on to the next city. Why? Because the redemption of the temporal comes only after redemption of eternal. It's amazing to know that if somebody, if one of these people, if they were blind and they come to Jesus, and they were forgiven of their sins and made right with God the Father and had their eternity secured, they don't care if they ever see again. But flip it, if they see, but end up dying and going to hell, I think they would have preferred the other. They would have preferred to have been made right with God, forgiven of their sins, and given eternal life. And so churches, we think about following Christ. It comes with spiritual and physical opposition, but in following Jesus, also requires proclaiming the good news with compassion, not just compassion. And so when we walk in the ugly trenches of brokenness with our friends, walk with them, help them, be there for them, meet the physical needs, but never neglect, church, we must never neglect to share the good news that Jesus can fix eternal problems, not just temporary.
Now as we kind of dovetail off of that point, the, the third thing that we see in these scriptures is following Jesus demands that we stay focused on the eternal purpose. Okay, so it's literally, this is like piggybacking off of that second point. But let me ask you this question. Where were the disciples? Okay, if, if the last passage was, will you come and follow me no matter the cost? And they said, yes. As you read through the book of Mark, start watching, start wondering, because the point of this book is what's going to happen when Jesus dies? Who carries on the ministry after Jesus' resurrection? Right? It's the disciples. That's why he's discipling them. So as we're reading through the book of Mark, ask yourself, where are the disciples in the passages and what are they doing? It's awesome. Like halfway through the book, you'll start seeing that they're the ones doing the ministry and Jesus is the one watching as he's trained them already. It's kind of cool. But so as we ask the question tonight or for this passage is where are the disciples? And as you read through the whole passage, they're only mentioned twice. Why? Because the rest of the time they're in the background watching Jesus heal everyone, watching Jesus preach, watching Jesus cast out demons. They're watching. That's where they're at in this journey of their faith, is they're watching. Some of you in, in, in your journey of faith right now, you're in a watching season. That's okay. It's okay to be in a watching season, especially if you're a new believer. You're like, hey, I don't want to be leading a Bible study, Pastor. I want to be in one. I don't want to lead men's breakfast. I want to learn at men's breakfast, right? And, and so I don't want to teach the women's gathering. I want to listen at the women's gathering. That's okay. That's a season. Some of you are in that season. Great. Keep training. Keep growing. This is amazing, okay? Here's the deal. The disciples correct Jesus. And it is the funniest thing in the world as you look at this in the passage. First off, they're not even mentioned. The only times they get mentioned in this passage is when they're wrong. Look at verse... Um, Look at verse 37. So this is the same thing, 35 through 37. Jesus goes out into the, into the deserted place and he's praying, he's spending time seeking the Father. The disciples are looking for him. They run out and they find him. And they don't say, hey, what are you doing? I know that we're in training and we're, you know, the master's moved on. Should we have been here too? What were you doing out here, master? We need to learn because we're training right now. Nope. Just like a typical American, right? They weren't Americans, but just like a prideful guy. Hey, everyone's looking for you, stupid. There's a whole city waiting for you at this house. What are you doing out here in the middle of the desert? Let's go. On a side note, sermon, little application. I didn't have time for it in the sermon. I didn't feel like it was worth, I didn't feel like it was the main point, so we didn't do it. But man, what a challenge to have a time where we go to a deserted place to seek the Lord in prayer. Could you imagine if Jesus got distracted by all the accolades, all the cool things that he just did, everyone wanted to see him and be around him, and his attention and his fame. He got alone with the Father and he knew what he was supposed to be doing. He stayed focused. You guys pray for us as a church this year. We went from 10 to 50. Holy smokes, that blows my mind. God's doing great things. We had 14 baptisms, we had six salvations. This is insane. God did a lot of stuff. Let us not get distracted by the awesome. It's not because of us. It's not from any sermon I preached. We had someone get saved when I preached the introduction to 1 Timothy. I guarantee you that was not from me preaching. That was from God doing the move in that person's heart. 
And so this year we're looking at discipling people, growing each other in our faith. We want to see even more people come to Christ as well. But you pray for us. Pray that we don't get distracted by, by all the things. But notice again, the disciples are not mentioned. Why? Because the disciples are in training. They don't know anything right now. They're just, they're learning from the master. And the first thing they do in the passage when they get mentioned is they're correcting him. What are you doing? There's a city of people waiting for you to heal them. And because he'd been in prayer, and because he knew what his purpose was, like I said, this is the point, right? Following Jesus means we must stay focused on the eternal purpose. He didn't go back to the house to heal. He went to the next city to proclaim the good news. And then he even doubles down. This is why I've come. And so we've got to be proclaiming the gospel. We've got to keep the eternal focus or else we'll get caught up in all the urgent things that need our attention. In the commentary that I was reading, uh, he mentioned a lot of times like when a pastor becomes successful immediately. And, and this is so funny. And we're, uh, we've got the, the leader of our Southern Baptist uh, Convention in Wyoming is with us tonight, him and Beth. We're so grateful for you guys and God bless your ministry. Um, but you've seen this time and time again. A pastor gets successful and immediately they want him to come speak at every conference and say exactly what they did because there's a bunch of discouraged pastors that are going to listen and go, if I do that, God will do what he did there. Okay, I'm going to run and I'm going to try this program and I'm going to do this thing. It's so silly. Just preach the gospel, exalt Jesus and watch him draw people to himself. That's what we got to do. We got to keep focused on the eternal. We're not worried about someone thinking outfitter church is important. We just want the 3,000 people that call this city home and the 80,000 people that call the Casper area their home. We want them to know who Jesus is and that they need to turn and follow him no matter what it costs them. That's the eternal purpose of this church as we follow the eternal purpose that Jesus gives to us. So the disciples correct Jesus after prayer. And as soon as they walk into Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And they're like, ooh, ooh, hey, you just healed all those people. Hey, come heal my mother-in-law. And, and it's all, again, it's all about what they can get. And it's not wrong to want to be healed. But we notice none of these people are following him. They're just getting healed from him and then moving on about their days. About that mother-in-law, she brings us to our fourth point. Following Jesus is about giving, not getting. Following Jesus is about giving, not getting. Now here's where this is hard for me because I'm reading this story thinking it's like a movie. Jesus comes, he does something, everyone immediately loves him and wants him there. I'm like, that's a success. But as I was learning through the commentary and through preparing to preach this, that wasn't a success for Jesus. Jesus never once applauds those people. Jesus never once goes and seeks out someone ill to heal. You wanna know the only person that turns and follows him and serves him in this whole story? The unnamed mother-in-law. Let that sink in, that an entire city of men was just healed, and the only one to follow him was an unnamed woman. Mark is doing something here. I'm not saying he's a feminist, 
but he's definitely putting a jab at all the disciples, all the male disciples that watched Jesus do ministry, watched him get famous, and wanted to see what all they could get from the deal. It was the unnamed mother-in-law who was the only one in this story that served him back. Did you catch that? Walks into the house. She's also the only one who didn't ask to be healed. She didn't want Jesus for what she could get. She wanted to serve him. Jesus walks into the house. He takes her by her hand. He's told she has a fever. He takes her by her hand. She gets up. The passage says, I, I keep saying story. I don't mean fictional story. Historical account. The historical account says that he grabbed her by her hand. She got up. The fever left her. And what did she do, church? She served them. Following Jesus is about giving, not getting. In verses 1 through 20 of last week's sermon, we saw the call, the commission, and the consequence. And he says to the disciples, will you follow me? Will you turn away from everything else that you find to give you security? And will you put it all in me? Everyone tells you as a kid, don't put all your eggs in one basket now. But when it comes to Jesus, we put all of our, he's not a Roth IRA, okay? He's the Savior. You put everything you have in Jesus, and you know that it's going to be okay. And so he asked this last passage, will you follow me no matter the cost? And we said, yes. And now he says, now let me explain to you the cost most of the suffering that you'll go through following Jesus is giving yourself up for the good of others and getting nothing in return. Look at what Jesus was doing. He healed one person, a thousand more show up. It says in the evening when it was dark. So after hours, he clocked out. But yet here he was working all night long helping people who didn't even get it who were coming to him to take advantage of him. His own disciples were taking advantage of him, not knowing really what the purpose was. And so as we think about serving, it's, or as we think about following Jesus, and are we willing to suffer the majority of suffering for us in a non-persecuted country? Yeah, I get it. Maybe someone censors your Facebook, and that's stupid. I know of a church that their, their stuff's being censored. That's stupid. But there's also pastors in other, in other countries being arrested, beaten, and killed for their faith. So I'd like to say that we have it better than them. Okay? The majority of our lives following Christ, the suffering is going to look like serving others and getting nothing in return. Because the example Jesus gives us, and it's the example the mother-in-law gives us, and it's the example we must follow. And so church, last week we looked, are we willing to follow Christ no matter what it costs us? And then tonight we've been given a, a foretaste, a precursor, a pregame of what it looks like to follow Christ. And then there's a life of long hours, no thank yous, and a lot of patience. Serving others and not wanting to get back in return. Jesus sets the example, the mother-in-law sets the example, and now the disciples need to follow in that example. And so church, let's focus on serving others. When they don't get it, 
Be patient. Tell it again. When no one gives back, it's okay. You're a child of God. You, who were once an enemy of God, an enemy of the cross, a rebeller against the Almighty God and your Heavenly Father, He has saved you when you didn't deserve it. You don't need people to like you. I started loving preaching so much more when after I say amen and I walk to the back, I'm not looking for someone to tell me good job. Now, do I love hearing good job? Yes. I more so like hearing how God convicted you or is using his word to strengthen your faith. That's the kind of things I love to hear on the end of a Wednesday night. But preaching became so much more enjoyable when I just said, Lord, I preach to your glory and I hope that you strengthen your bride. God, you do with your word what you can do. I'm just grateful I got to preach it. I used to, in my early years of preaching, sit at the back waiting for someone to come tell me, great job. And if I didn't hear that, my Sunday was ruined. I hope you enjoy the sermons, but ultimately I'm going to preach what God puts on my heart and I'm going to try and please Him. And if I never get a thank you, one, we have an unhealthy church, but two, if I never get a thank you, it doesn't matter. I'm here to serve the Lord. You guys are very encouraging to me, by the way. I'm not bashing you. That was just an illustration. But when you're taken advantage of as you serve people, embrace it. Everyone took advantage of Jesus. Let's just get focused on serving others and proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ has come. He's fulfilled all of the promises of God. He's died for our sins and he rose from the dead doing what we could never do for ourselves. And he's calling us to follow him in this life and into eternity. So church, let's do that. But maybe you're here tonight and maybe you'd say, man, this all sounds great, but I've, I've never accepted the call to follow Jesus. Maybe you've, maybe you've never even really been to church. Maybe you've never really read the Bible. Maybe tonight is the first time you ever read the Bible. And I know it's not live stream, but maybe you're watching this tomorrow. And it's the first time for you to open the scriptures and hear about Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church. I don't know. But if you're here tonight... <clears throat> And you're hearing the call of Christ, the call to stop living for yourself and start living to serve in Jesus' name. If that has enticed you, and if while I've preached the gospel, God has opened your eyes to where you now want to stop living for yourself, and you want to start living for Him, and you want to follow Him in this life and into eternity, because you believe that He died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. If that's you... I'm going to encourage you to make that decision tonight. I'm going to ask Ashley to come forward and as we prepare to sing. If, if you're here tonight and you've never turned from your sins to follow Jesus, I believe that God brought you here for a purpose. And if your heart's burning within you saying, I want to quit living for myself and I want to start living for God, then I'm going to encourage you to commit your life to Jesus tonight by praying to him. <clears throat> nothing fancy I'm simply going to proclaim the truth that you're ready to quit living for yourself and start living for the Savior if that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed I'm going to invite you to pray that if you're ready to turn from a selfish life to a selfless life serving the Savior 
I invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, I'm done living for myself. I want to live to serve others. I want to live to follow you. I want to follow the Savior. Jesus, I know that you died for my sins. I know that you rose from the dead. I know that you're calling me to follow you. Forgive me of my sins, God. I believe. I begin following you tonight for the rest of my life and into eternity. Now, if you prayed that prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, there's a card in your chair with a pen. I want you to fill out your name and I want you to check that top box that says, I decided to follow Jesus today. And at the back, there's a little red wooden box. I want you to drop that in there or come hand it to me personally. We want to help you learn to begin following Jesus all your days. If you pray that, please don't leave tonight without telling somebody. Because like we said in point one, following Jesus comes with spiritual opposition. And if you gave your life to Christ but you're embarrassed to share it, I promise you Satan's not embarrassed to attack you. So I want you to come tell one of us so that we can begin walking in community and protection with you. Now church, we got a great challenge tonight. We said, yes, we'll follow Christ. We said, we'll give it all up, no matter what it costs. And the one thing that we see immediately that it costs is it costs us suffering. We've got to serve others. We've got to proclaim the good news. Let's pray and ask God for help as we do that. Father, we come to you. We know that your son, Jesus, is worthy of following. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have now been granted the ability to be made right with you, God. And so we ask that you would give us the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to serve, enable us to give and not worry about what we get. God, empower us with your Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news verbally, God, empower us with the Spirit and, and let that same Holy Spirit convict, convict the people that we share with so that they may repent of their sins and follow Jesus. And God, empower us to follow you faithfully. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.